friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. And this week, it's Tracy Sanhindrick from St. Louis, a, a board-certified music therapist. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, you're a, a St. Louis, uh, not a native, though. You, you weren't born in St. Louis, were you? No, that's correct. So I actually am from the Illinois side. So I live about 35 miles from St. Louis. I'm not super far. I've been commuting for years, so no big deal now. But yeah, I, I grew up on a small farm south of Belleville, Illinois, and then lived in St. Louis when I went to Maryville University for my music therapy degree. So yeah, I guess I would consider myself native as much as possible. <laughs> I think I spend more time in St. Louis than I do at home in Illinois. You were interested in music all along, I think, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I've been doing music, um, specifically piano and voice, since I was about three. I grew up in a United Church of Christ, a very small church, and it was myself and my dad and my oldest brother were very musical, so I grew up in a church that did a lot of music. So people use music for spiritual support. And I started to kind of get a love for not really performing because I don't consider that performing in a small church. I, I just think it's, you know, I was taught to like, if you have a gift, share your gift kind of thing. So I did a lot of that as I grew up, um, led things like vacation Bible school with the youth groups and things like that. And then I directed an adult church choir. So I think that really kind of really initiated my love for music. Mm -hmm. And then actually kind of a funny story, but when I was 12, I was cheerleading and I actually lost my voice <laughs> and had to go to a speech pathologist. And for 12 weeks, I had to be completely silent and couldn't say anything because I had damaged my vocal cords so much. And at that point I was sitting with the speech pathologist and I was, so I guess sixth grade and you know, my parents knew that music was important and I think just had an inkling that that would be a part of my future life. And I remember my parents saying, well, do you want to continue singing or do you want to continue doing cheerleading? Because you can't do both, you know? Yeah. So at that point in time, I was like, no, music is too important. So I put down the pom-poms <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, just fell in love with music as a, a teenager and stumbled across music therapy. I had two years of college under my belt and stumbled across a woman whose daughter had graduated from Maryville University many years ago. And she'd actually lived out in Colorado and her and I connected. And she told me all about the program, all about music therapy. And I had, I had no idea the field even existed. And, um, I got connected with her and just fell in love with the field. I took one visit over at Maryville and I was sold and thought this is exactly what I should be doing with my life. And Maryville University is not in Maryville, Missouri. Yeah, not in Maryville, Illinois either. So, <laughs> so Maryville University is based out of St. Louis. 
it's actually right down the street from the Mormon temple and um, down the street from uh, BJC's Missouri Baptist Hospital. Yeah, so I was about, I guess it's about an hour from home. So when I decided to attend Maryville, I moved over to St. Louis and and started the program there. Mm -hmm. And stuck with it. Uh, And stuck with it, for sure. uh, When did Lindenwood come along? So Lindenwood is where I went for my master's degree. Oh, okay. Yeah, so at Maryville, I completed a, um, I was considered a transfer, transferring in my junior year of college and started the music therapy program. And then I did not attend Lindenwood until I went back um, in 2016 for my master's degree. Yeah. Well, you had already been practicing for, what, 2009 is when you started your music therapy practice? So I graduated in, finished my internship in December of 07, and I completed that internship with, I split it up. It's about a 1,200-hour internship of clinical time, and the first half I did at St. Luke's Hospital in St. Louis with adult rehab, so I worked with a lot of patients with stroke, post-surgery, a lot of neurological disorders like Parkinson's disease, Mm -hmm. so I did half of that, and then the second half I actually did hospice. I did that and then I was able to get a job with BJC hospice. And then I worked with them for two years doing hospice work actually in Southern Missouri in Farmington. Would you describe what hospice work is like uh, as a music therapist? And I ask because there was a, a volunteer that came and sang for my father when he was in hospice uh, she had her ukulele and a, and a songbook that she uh, just volunteered to go from place to place, and they had it all arranged. And it was just so meaningful to my dad. Uh, so how was it for you? How did that, how did that work? Yeah, I think for me, just personally, you know, when I got into the program at Maryville, I don't think I initially thought I was going to be working in geriatrics. Mm -hmm. I had a love for children and um, also lots of populations. I didn't want to pigeonhole myself. So I was open to working with lots of different populations at the time. But aside from my church upbringing, I also had a grandmother that was in a nursing home um, for 90% of my life at the time. She passed away when I was 21. So she went into a nursing home when I was six. So that was all I knew of her was her life in the nursing home. And we would visit her every Sunday and my dad and I would go and play music for the residents in the community room or the cafeteria area. So that was also in the back of my head. You know, I had this, this musical experience on the spiritual side I had my own musical experience, um, just growing up in piano lessons, vocal lessons, and performance. And then I also had this geriatric side that was super special to me. And I didn't know it at the time, but now that I look back at it, I do think those experiences truly molded my future. But as far as hospice, when I did my internship, it was it's such inspiring work. You know, I I can only equate it to when someone says, you know, when you get to be present during a childbirth, it's like this gift, it's a miracle. And I truly think and believe that being a part of someone's grieving process, someone's death process, that 
that is a journey in itself. And I think being able to be a stranger coming into that situation where we can relate through music is truly a gift. Um, There are so many volunteers that do music and bring their talents into the room and and that we could not, I mean, hospice can't work without volunteers. Like they're amazing. They do amazing things for families. I think the biggest difference and the takeaway between like a music volunteer and a board certified music therapist is a, is a music therapist is trained to use music interventions to cater to the patient. So in other words, um, towards the end of life, a lot of patients have uneven respiratory breathing, they might have pain. So what a music therapist is trained to do is to be able to use music to support that. So in other words, we can speak a little bit neurologically about how music affects the brain. And the easiest way to describe it is we are rhythmic beings. We automatically sync with a significant consistent rhythm. So just take your heartbeat for, for instance, we can, based on a person's respiratory rate and heart rate, we can match the tempo of the music to what is happening in real time. So music therapists go through a significant amount of training. That's what I like to call half music and half medical. So we are trained on how to use our music ability in order to assist in the here and now, what, you know, helping that patient and the family be able to process grief, music and and sound is, is said to be known as the last sense to leave the body. So, you know, there's things that we can do when I was actually an intern and then worked my first two years in hospice, I actually co-treated with a massage therapist. So she would actually massage to the rhythm that I was doing in order to match the patient's respiration rate. So just, and being able to co-facilitate like that was a really beautiful experience that you could have with the patient and their family if they were present. I had no idea. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. You know, it's, and music itself is, music evokes a lot of emotion. So there's a lot of counseling that goes into the music therapist side. So I'm sure you know yourself, you might hear a song on the radio and automatically it takes you back to a situation or a time where maybe it was a funeral of someone you loved, you know? So if you're working with a patient and, and you accidentally bring up a song that relates or brings back memories or stems emotion, a music therapist is trained to help that patient or family member process those emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's so important because you don't want to get yourself into a situation to where you can't help the patient be able to process those emotions. Excellent. Just leaving them to themselves to work it out is uh, not the best plan. Great. So you moved on from hospice Mm-hmm. to the other end of the spectrum in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy now when I think about it, because we're in year 12, I was actually finishing up my two years with BJC hospice and I was working in Farmington, Missouri. So still living in Illinois, working in Farmington, Missouri, I was getting married and I hadn't planned to continue that job because it was just, it was just too far from home. You know, when you're in, when you're working in hospice, you're doing a lot of driving patient to patient because you're going to homes too. So I was just doing a lot of driving, although I loved the job. 
and loved the team I worked with. It was just too much driving for me at the time. And I received a call one day from Dr. Cynthia Briggs, who was the, who was the director of music therapy at Maryville University, who had known me from day one. <laughs> and I get a call and she says, hey, we're thinking about starting this program with the pediatric cancer centers in St. Louis. And, you know, I met with the team and it's all brand new. And I just really can't think of anybody else who would be one, be really great at it. And two, be able to handle it. She's like, I know you have experience in hospice. These kids are sick. You're going to lose kids. I know you can do the intervention, you know, so things like that. And at the time when she called me, I was like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> like how, I know she has all this faith in me, but I'm feeling really like not qualified to do that work. But she's just like, I just know how you are. I know how great you are at quickly building rapport with patients. Like I said, that you're accustomed to losing your clients kind of thing. And you know, she just told me so many great things about the opportunity. And uh, I mean, it took me two whole minutes to say yes, you know? So it was like, of course, how can I not, how can I turn down something that's one new and two, the director of the program is calling me and asking me to take on and pioneer a program. Right. So kids rock cancer started in 2009 and it is part of Maryville's community outreach programming. So it is a sector of Maryville's nonprofit that is connected also to the Walker Scottish Rite Speech Clinic as well. Mm. Um, but yes, it started in November of 2009. And here we are. I'm still doing it in 2021. And was she right? Uh, you've lost kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. I knew going into it that Yes, I was accustomed to losing hospice patients, but I would say the majority of those majority of those hospice patients were probably over the age of 70. Mm -hmm. And I had a few young patients. I think my youngest hospice patient at that time was 26, was the youngest person I saw oh, wow. who had just some a crazy brain tumor. And that was hard, you know, like be, that's a completely different situation than an 85 year old passing away from Alzheimer's and not that I'm negating that being less emotional. It's just at that point in time, I think with age, you start to expect things to right. decrease, you know? So yes, she was right. I, I've lost countless children and it's difficult and there's no, no loss is any easier to, even after all these years, I think that it's, it's very emotional population to work with. For me, I get asked this question all the time, just by random people like, oh, how do you do hospice work? And you work with pediatric cancer kids like that's So sad. You know, that's what people say. That's so sad. How do you do that job? And my answer has always been like, it's a privilege again, like to be a part of that intimate journey with a patient and family um, is like no other experience. And the best part about it is I don't have to poke and prod them. I don't have to be the nurse that accesses their port. I don't have to be the nurse that takes them to their lumbar puncture. 
I don't have to be the physician that has to give the bad news. I get to be the music therapist with the guitar on my back and we get to, I don't want to say have fun, but we get to bring light into the room in sometimes a very dark situation. And because music is so relatable, it's easy to build rapport. It's easy to have a relationship with a client that can be about music and not about cancer or blood disorders. I was thinking of a, how a grandparent sometimes gets to be with the grandkids mm-hmm. uh, without all the responsibility of, mm-hmm. of the things. So being a grandparent myself, it, I see how that can work. And, and I, I, the word that keeps coming to mind is the word sacred. Uh, it's like you have a sacred opportunity to journey with these people that don't have a choice really about what's going to happen. It absolutely is. It, it is this intimate, sacred experience, you know, and, and music in this situation can be a container and a really safe one at that. All those emotions and treatment and all those things and all those emotions and feelings can go in that container and you can create something musical that can share that beautiful story with family or maybe friends, or maybe it's a eight-year-old who's been out of school for six months and they want to share it with their students, or it's just a private music therapy session that helps provide a safe space for these patients to be able to cope with whatever they're going through. I want to remind uh, the listeners that you are Tracy Sandheinrich. Uh, You are the uh, owner and uh, chief therapist at Music Therapy St. Louis, uh, your own business, as well as the uh, our chief music therapist at Kids Rock Cancer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wow, you're making me sound like I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> I well, do. That's, so. that's not all the hats. There's another yeah, coming up. Yeah, I wear a lot of hats. Um, it's funny, my business partner and I, Jamie Kennington, who also is an additional music therapist for the Kids Rock Cancer team, We joke about how music therapists have to always work with their knees bent. We never know what's coming or how many hats we're going to be juggling. But yes, so when I was working for BJC, that was actually only a part-time position. And so, as I said earlier, I was traveling back and forth to Southern Missouri and Illinois. Well, on the Illinois side, there's not a lot of music therapists. And St. Louis specifically is sort of has an ebb and flow of getting flooded with music therapists because of the university. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the university's here, there's always lots of music therapists around. So at that time I was doing hospice and then I, I just felt the need to try to do something. How can I get music therapy services to a a more desolate rural area? Mm -hmm. And so I happened to be, you know, kind of like in between. And I was just like, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to just do it. I'm going to start knocking on doors. And if I have to do free sessions for a year, I will, you know, like I will sell this. I promise you, I will sell this. And my very first contract was in Aviston, Illinois at a long-term care facility called the Aviston Countryside Manor. And the director at the time was just amazing. And she was like, sold good. That was my very first contract. And 
I did supportive groups with geriatric groups. So Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, all types of abilities, if you will. And I just loved it. I fell in love with the work and, you know, I worked really hard and because of word of mouth, I didn't have to do a lot of marketing at the time because of word of mouth and because of small towns, one administrator called another administrator, another administrator called and said, Hey, I got this music therapist. You guys got to have this at your facility. So I actually had my own private practice that I started while I was working at BJC. So I was doing that part-time and then doing BJC part-time. So then when Kids Rock Cancer started, I still continued my own private practice because at the time when the program started, it was still part-time. So I was able to leave the hospice work as far as just BJC. And then I was able to get contracts with other hospices. Mm -hmm. So I would carry a caseload of hospice patients along with seeing, doing geriatric groups. And probably, I probably had up to 12 long-term care facilities at, at a time. Wow. So it, it was just a great experience. I learned a lot about owning a private practice. I learned a lot about contract work. Mm-hmm. You know, contract work is so different than being an employee somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have, you know, I, yes, you have a lot of freedoms with contract work, but you also don't have benefits. You don't get paid when you're sick. You don't have time off. You don't have a 401k, all those things. Right. Um, so, you know, long story short, I was doing kids rock cancer. My private practice was booming at the time. And I was getting to the point where I had had two children. Mm-hmm. I was getting to the point where I was like, I, you know, I'm, I'm juggling a lot and I really want to push my focus into at that time, getting my master's. Mm-hmm. And so I started my, the year I started my master's program, I actually had kind of a chance meeting with Jamie Kennington, who is my business partner. And she was finishing the program at Maryville. And Dr. Briggs, if you remember, the director of the music therapy program had said, hey, I think you need to meet Jamie. She's really interested in kids rock cancer. Like she'd just love to have coffee with you. And I was like, sure, absolutely. So we go have coffee and she's taught, she hadn't finished her degree yet. And just you know, we just kind of connected. And a year later, she was able to finish her internship with Kids Rock Cancer. And then while she was doing that, we just, for lack of a better phrase, fell in love with each other, you know, like just truly best friends and business partners. We have very similar personalities. And we just were like, at this point in time, she was coming onto the Kids Rock Cancer team. And Prior to working for Kids Rock Cancer, she had graduated and started doing contract work and just like breaking her back. Like she just was, you know, contract work is very cutthroat, I'd say, in St. Louis, because there's if there's not a lot of jobs, everybody starts contracting. So she just was and she her her previous career was marketing. And she, yeah, so she has a degree in marketing. And so she used to work for Anheuser-Busch and did all these contracts and just did crazy, amazing work. So she was used to working hard, but she was just like, oh, this isn't what I went to school for. You know, like she wasn't used, excuse me, to not having the security of a position. Mm -hmm. When she worked for Anheuser and had a marketing position, she had benefits. She had a secure paycheck. She had vacation time and sick leave and things like that. And 
So as I got to know her more, we started talking more about this. And for me, it was a little bit foreign because I had always contracted. Um, and I, I will be very honest and I'm super humble about it, but I'm very lucky about the contracts that I did have. I was, I had very loyal agencies and facilities that worked with me that I had contracts with for years. So I hadn't experienced that. And also I was married, I got married. So I had insurance, all those things. Well, she, you know, she didn't have all those things. So she was like, I got to get a job that gives me security. So from many glasses of wine and late night conversations, Music Therapy St. Louis was born. And we are actually the only music therapy focused company in the area that offers employee positions. So we currently have a team of five therapists and those of which who can choose to have health insurance, you know, they have PTO time all those things. So we really wanted that to be a focus of our company. And that's what makes us different. Um, sure. You know, it's just, it was such a need and we hope to see it grow in the future. Oh. Well, it must be growing because you're adding interns and doing things, I guess, people from Maryville are, are interning with you probably. Yes, that's correct. So, so Music Therapy St. Louis is its own entity. So actually, Kids Rock Cancer is one of our contracts. Yeah. So that falls under our company. And then we actually have a working partnership with the music therapy department where we take on six to eight students a semester. And so it's just great, whether they're interns or practicum students. So we're able to provide a secure student placement as well. Wonderful. What a, what a setup. I, I don't know how it happened. Like uh, I said, over many glasses of wine and late night conversations, I guess. But I guess I think we just decided that there was such a need and yeah. it would it would be crazy for us not to at least try to try and do something and better the field, you know, better the opportunities for um, therapists in the area. So we'll just we'll see what happens. We're excited about the future. I bet you are. Sounds great. Well, what does this have to do with something called sick cells? Oh, okay. So sick cells is actually a national organization that we recently partnered with, and they are an advocacy organization that advocates for kids and teens and young adults that are living with sickle cell disease. Okay. So as we talk about kids rock cancer, we, you know, most, a lot of people don't know that we also see kids that are living and dealing with blood disorders. So I would say probably about 50% of the kids we actually see have sickle cell disease. So, and if, if you don't know what sickle cell disease is, a lot of people don't, it is a genetic trait. And so, you know, you, it's congenital, so you are born with it. But it is where your red, blood, your red blood cells are actually shaped like a crescent moon, I guess is probably much the only way to describe it. So what happens is it disrupts blood flow. When they are not shaped perfectly like a normal red blood cell, they start to inhibit issues for your body. In other words, probably some of the easiest ways to describe it is when someone has a scratch or if they break an arm, their body is not going to heal 
like normal red blood cells would help with that. Oftentimes these kids talk about a significant unexpected change in weather affecting them. So if it goes from 30 degrees one day and then 80 degrees the next day, it's extremely difficult for their body to adapt to that sort of temperature change because our bodies are used to self-regulating themselves, temperature, blood flow, circulation. Um, and it's almost impossible to do so. And a lot of these kids have long-term effects, some that affect their, their spleen. Some kids are more prone to having a stroke because their blood doesn't clot normally. So, you know, we partnered with six cells because we truly want to be an advocate in the community to not only educate people about sickle cell, but also support the population. They don't have near the you know, not, I mean, almost everyone, you know, is affected by cancer, you know, because at least everyone knows at least one person that they know, and either their friend or family that has been affected by cancer. So cancer is very socially talked about for, and it has been for years and kids with blood disorders and specifically sickle cell, there's still so many people that don't know it even exists. So we really just loved their mission and um, we were able to highlight one of our rock stars and share her story. And it was actually a rock star that I had worked with from the beginning of Kids Rock Cancer. She was 12 and now she's 22. So oh. we were able to highlight that story. Um, but it's just, it's just an amazing opportunity to work with these kids and support the mission and help advocate. So it is true that sickle cell only affects the black population. Is that correct? Not a hundred percent. So there are certain types of genetic traits and strands. So a, a majority is with the African-American population, but it's not, it's not impossible. Because it takes a, a trait from both the husband and the wife or the, the male and the female yeah. to join together to bring about a sickle cell shock. Yeah. yeah, because you can have a parent that's a carrier right. and not have sickle cell. Yeah. Right. And a lot of pain involved in sickle cell. I had several students at, at Lincoln University who were living with sickle cell. And, and actually, if I'm not mistaken, one of them is someone you had worked with at some point. And oh, really? she was in her... I guess maybe it gotten to probably 30 years old and uh, it took her life uh, not too long back. So I, think uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, just a real fighter as, as all of them are. And uh, yeah, what an opportunity. I think the biggest thing is, is the disease is invisible, mm -hmm. you know, and I think similar to, many of your autoimmune diseases, you know, when you work with the pediatric oncology population, you know, a, a higher percentage of those patients don't have hair. So immediately when you see a child with not any hair, you think, oh, they have cancer or, you know, so, but um, a child or a teenager that's living with sickle cell disease or even an adult it's not on their face or their head or their body, you know? So it's just, it is really an invisible disease. And I've worked with so many kids that talk about how school 
and friends and teachers and just society challenges are very difficult because they can't see their disease. So there's a lot of stigma that comes along with sickle cell as well that I hope to continue advocating for or advocating against, if you will. I, I can only, I can recall so many things, but you know, when I, when a child says to me, my PE coach won't let me sit out for the day because he doesn't think I'm sick. And the child is, I'm like, I can feel my body on the onset of a pain crisis. Right. And, um, and it might just be because of the weather change. Yeah. So there's just, there's just not near enough education out there just socially about the side effects of sickle cell. And these kids live with chronic pain their whole life. Like, unless they are just one of the lucky ones and they have a really strict and adhere to their medicine regimen. I mean, it's, it's a very difficult thing to manage. I think for some, it gets easier as they get older. For some, it gets worse. Um, So in every case is different. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I think if we can advocate as much as possible for these people, it's, it's so important that they get the help and the respect that they deserve. You know, it's not their fault. They don't know any other, they don't know anything else, you know? So, so I hope to continue furthering that advocacy. Thank you. Very needed. One of your practices is to work with uh, some of your patients to write songs. That's right. Yeah, just to kind of go in depth a little bit. So specifically, Maryville University's Kids Rock Cancer Program, when it was built, was decided to really focus on one music therapy intervention, and that was therapeutic songwriting. And we did that because when when the ideas were flowing, you know, we were at the time didn't want to take, we didn't want to get into the hospital organization and do a program and do all music therapy. And then the hospital say, oh, well, we don't have to pay for it, right? Like we don't need a music therapist because you guys pay for it. The nonprofit pays for it. So we wanted to be really careful and strategic about the mission of Kids Rock Cancer being we were going to stick to one unique opportunity because we wanted to give hospitals a taste of what they could have and what music therapy was. And, and that has truly helped. At the time, I was, so there was only one music therapist at Children's. Now there is three. So it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And at Cardinal Glennon, there was no music therapy when we started. And now they're a team of three. So, you know, even though it's taken time, it's like the hospitals have truly seen the value in what music therapy can do and how it can benefit their patients. Mm -hmm. But yes, so we do focus on therapeutic songwriting. So this is an opportunity for kids to be able to write a song about whatever they want. Mm -hmm. We don't go in there with any agenda. You know, I was just with my intern today and I was like, just focus on building rapport, introduce the program, get to know the kid, let let them feel comfortable with you. And then we talk about music, ask him what kind of music they like. If he's got a dinosaur blanket, say, Hey, I, I like your blanket. And you like dinosaurs, you know, just, just get to know the child. That's 50% of the gig right there. You've got to get the child's buy-in because we're not there every day. 
we don't have a specific caseload. So we go in and honestly, it's a conversation. It is a supportive counseling conversation that talks with the patient about whatever they need to talk about. And the session, we let them guide the session. This is, is really a person-centered approach to right. music therapy. And I've had song kids write songs. I mean, I've had a five-year-old write in death songs about death. Wow. You know, I've also had 16-year-olds write about how they miss their dog at home. Like, it's just no situation, no session is the same. Mm-hmm. One example I can give you is, I, I'm bringing it up because I share the dog example, mm-hmm. but I had, we also support siblings of cancer patients, and we also support kids that are affected by cancer, meaning if they have a parent or a grandparent oh. that is dealing with cancer, mm-hmm. you know, when cancer hits the family, it turns everything upside down. So we really want to kind of support the family as a whole. And I was working with a girl who, um, whose mom had cancer and the whole time we're talking and she's like telling me all these deep details and, you know, expressing her thoughts about her mom's cancer treatment and talking about if she's going to make it or not, like all these very emotional things. And then as we're doing that, I always ask the patient's permission. Is it okay if I write things down while we're talking? Because later on, that's what I would consider an idea page. So it's what we go back to, to reference for lyrics or content of their song. So as we're probably talking for maybe 45 minutes, I'm like, okay, let's, let's take a, take a look back at your idea page. And you've talked about this and you've talked about this and this and this. I said, wow, these are really big things. Like, is there anything that's really standing out to you that you want to be the main idea or the hook of your song? And she, she kind of sat there for a minute. And then she says, actually, no, I really just want to write the song about my dog. And like, she didn't say one word about her dog the entire time, you know? And I'm like, well, okay. I go, well, let's write about your dog. So tell me more about your dog. Tell me more, you know? So long story short, as she was telling me about her dog, I quickly, quickly caught on to the fact that this was not just about the dog. This was about her being an only child. This was about her not having anyone to talk to. This was about having a furry friend that was her best friend that could support her and be with her in a time that she needed support when no one else could. And it just was like, it was like a total eye opener. You know, it was like, wait a minute, like you are, you're divulging a whole nother level of what you're going through, because not only are you going through these things with your mom, but you're, you feel like you're doing it alone. So, so that was just like a complex thing. So then this, like her song became about her dog, but it became more about how the dog was getting her through. Um, so it's just, it really taught me early on to not have expectations 
um, with these sessions and to truly allow the patient to guide you um, because you just never know what someone is going through. What a story. completely when we're together you can bleed me you might feel alone but it won't last forever but at least we can be alone together National Association of Music Therapists? Yes, there is the American Music Therapy Association, and that is a national organization. And have you and your team done any presentations there? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I have done, oh, I've done presentations on just about everything I've done in my career. Um, from hospice work to post-stroke work. Mm -hmm. um, I did uh, the neurologic music therapy training um, in my internship actually, and did a, I've done a presentation on that before. It's just amazing um, how music affects the brain and how you can, I mean, I can, uh, the easiest reference is Gabby Giffords when she was 
um, shot in the head and she worked with a music therapist and couldn't speak. And the first words she spoke were this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know? Um, so it's just amazing how music therapy and music in general can circumvent an injury. You know, it's kind of the easiest way to explain it is when you have a roadblock on a main highway, what do you do? you got to figure out a side road to get around it. And that's what music does. It circumvents the injury. Um, I also do a um, stroke survivor choir and it's with a group in St. Louis um, that supports uh, patients that are dealing with aphasia. So a lot of them, you know, can understand everything I say, but a lot of them have um, expressive aphasia. So they, because of where their stroke happened in their brain neurologically, they can't always say what they want to say and, but they can sure sing. (laughs) How does that happen? You know, it's how the brain works. You know, scientists used to think that, that music was stored in only one part of the brain, but the truth is, is that it's stored in multiple parts of your brain. So when one part doesn't work, it's working in, you know, music therapy or music is being analyzed and working in other parts of your brain. So it's just music does powerful things. I think we understand it now and there's so much science and research behind it, but anyway, back to your question. So yes, we, I have presented a lot with at music therapy conferences, um, locally and nationally also, uh, with Maryville kids rock cancer, um, Jamie and I have been doing research And she did her, when she did her master's degree, this kids rock cancer was her focus. And what found out through the research that, that she conducted initially was we coded through randomly picked songs. So we had a specific age group. Um, so from ages seven to 11, there were 20 songs randomly pulled and we, we coded those songs based on categories. So we were really trying to discover what were the main categories that kids were writing about that were one going through cancer treatment and two in that age group. So through that, we've, we've um, uncovered these themes like family support system, um, third party, which is interesting. A lot of these kids write songs about in a third party perspective, like, um, what's the easiest example? Like, I hope you get better. I want you to understand this journey isn't so hard. So there's a lot of that, um, not just them getting support, but them giving support to others, Mm -hmm. be an example for others. There's just, I think it all came down to about eight categories. And it was just so interesting to sit back and look like, wow, this, the prevalence of what these kids are talking about is so vast. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're extrapolating that and doing it with the sickle cell population. So we just submitted um, an abstract to present at the um, sickle cell symposium. So I'm crossing my fingers. We've never presented at a sickle cell conference before. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that that happens too. But yeah, so we look forward to expanding the research and talking about it. It's so important because not only, we're not necessarily looking to present this to music therapists anymore. You know, Kids Rock Cancer has been around for over 10 years. We've done so many presentations to music therapists. You know, when you go to an AMTA conference, 
their music therapist, you know? Right. So now we're, we're presenting at counseling conferences, trying to present at a nursing conference, you know, pediatric and oncology nursing association, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the sickle cell symposium, those are full of clinicians that coming from nurses to doctors, to scientists, to researchers, to surgeons, you know, things like that. So there'll be lots of other types of clinicians there because we want to educate about music therapy. Those are the people that need to know about this work. You know, music therapists, they know, they know this works. They don't need convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the science is there neurologically, the science is there. And also like, it's just so important that we can advocate for music therapists and the benefits that it can provide for patients dealing with pediatric oncology or blood disorders. One of the things that was in my mind when I asked about uh, the associations was, is it unique what you and Jamie have done in building a business that then contracts with or kids rock cancer or these other groups, um, it seemed like if there were presentations about the process you went through, mm-hmm. then music therapists could could see themselves in a whole different mm-hmm. uh, empowerment, personal yeah. empowerment. I think it's I think it's different in every city. You know, I think it also is different. Um, there are twelve or thirteen states that have licensure. So in the state of Missouri and also in Illinois, we don't have licensure. So basically what that means is we can't accept insurance. So there's a lot of advocacy right now to um, push forward a bill for licensure because that would open the doors for so many patients that don't have access to services now. So a lot, you know, mostly our patients and our caseloads now they're all private pay. Mm -hmm. So, um, unless they're getting services paid for by the agency, like what we contract. So like Kids Rock Cancer, for example, is a nonprofit organization with with Maryville's community outreach programming. So no patient pays for any services, but Maryville raises money to pay the therapist. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so no, um, no patient ever pays for any Kids Rock Cancer session. Wow. But as far as on the company side, like, I was just telling my intern today because we were actually talking about licensure. And I said, we get two to three inquiries a week about, you know, I'm looking for music therapy services. I think this would be great for me, either their child or someone who's going through mental health issues and what are seeking support. And the last question is, is what insurance do you take? Right. And every time we have to say like, this is, we're, we're not there yet, you know, wow. and fortunately as, and that takes work as an entire field, you know, right. so all we can do is continue advocating. Each state has a local task force um, where they lobby and do all those things and present research. So I think it will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I cross my fingers, but until then um, all we can do is just keep trying. Mm-hmm. So, Well, what does, board certified mean if it's not a licensure kind so of board certified so it's a board certification so when you go through the program you have to complete 1200 hours of internship clinical hours so post your uh, undergraduate uh, degree mm-hmm. so 
you do the 1200 hours and then you have to pass a national board exam. Oh, okay. So, so in my opinion, you know, I, I think it's imperative that you pat you take the board exam. So it is not what licensure would do for us is mandate that board exam. Okay. So um, I had a funny example of when I was going into geriatric facilities on a regular basis, I walked into one one day and, and there was a guy there, like I was going there to see a hospice patient and there was a guy there playing music and whatever, and all good. And, and he saw me walk in with my guitar on my back and he says, Oh, wow. Great to meet you. Like, who are you? Like, I see you have a guitar and I'm like, Oh, my name's Tracy. I'm a music therapist. And he's like, Oh, me too. I'm a music therapist. And I was like, Oh, that's awesome. I was like, where did you go to school? And he goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, I was like, well, where did you get your degree? And he was just like, Oh, I don't, I've been playing music all my life, girlfriend. I don't need it. I don't need a degree. Mm. Yeah. But right. literally his badge said, xyz music therapist oh my so, which which i'm not saying he wasn't doing great things but at the same time like we need licensure to efficiently distinguish a professional and a volunteer right they both have a place in this world they both have an important place in this world and in in supporting people mm -hmm. people need music so i don't want to say volunteers are not good or whatever i'm not saying that at all because we do need them um, but there is a, there's a reason why we have a board certification and the education that we do. So that board certification gets you the MTBC, and then that allows you to practice in any state. Mm -hmm. So that, um, like, like I'm doing zoom sessions with a, a girl who lives in Tennessee, like oh. how crazy. So, um, but yeah, so I do hope for more licensure and, you know, for licensure in the future, I do think it will help just help us navigate. I think it will help music therapists. I think it will help volunteers who do music just navigate the difference. So you just said you're doing Zoom sessions? Yeah, yeah. So in light of the old friend COVID, <laughs> we, um, we had to quickly, with our knees bent, adapt, um, as everyone has over the last year. And I will say it was a little scary at first, but, um, you know, it's actually, there has been many silver linings. Um, I'm also leading a group right now. I work with an organization called the angel band project. That's based out of St. Louis that provides music therapy services for sexual survivors, sexual assault survivors and domestic violence and intimate partner violence. And this year they received a grant to provide online sessions, not just in St. Louis, but we're servicing areas like Springfield. And, um, you know, it's just, in order to be able to do that, we never thought we'd be able to do that and to reach people in areas where there might not be a music therapist or where there might not, where they might not have access to services. So there is a big silver lining, you know, we're in like the patient that I'm seeing in Tennessee, like they would, they don't have access to a music therapist. So with the capabilities of technology and zoom, now we're able to do these sessions via zoom or online. Marvelous, marvelous, mm -hmm. uh, which should be a boon to the students now that are coming up and your interns and the 
the possibilities for building clientele is yep. has just been grown exponentially. Yeah. 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 It's truly limitless. I mean, at this point, you know, we talk to our students and interns and it's like, well, if you don't know how to use the technology, you better figure it out because this stuff isn't going away. Right. You know, it's, it's even post COVID, like we're going to be servicing patients online forever now. <laughs> right. Just yeah. like doctors are. Exactly. Oh, this is pretty handy, you know. <laughs> yeah. Telehealth is, and it's just, I mean, I'm a mom of two, like if I have a four-year-old that has a fever, like how, how much easier it is for me to call my doctor via zoom and, you know, say, this is X, Y, Z is going on. And how can, do I need to come in for an appointment or are we okay to continue, you know, or it's just, it's kind of unbelievable really. And sometimes a saving grace for many patients and families. Indeed. Well, I, I, my head swims with the number of things that you're juggling still <laughs> and the, the journey that you've taken to get there. Uh, I, 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 I bow my knees, uh, bend my knees and bow to your, uh, your passion and, and your expertise and, and, uh, and the heart that you bring to it. It's, uh, it really is a work of heart. If, you, if your heart isn't there, I, I think the, the client knows it, knows it right away. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny when I recall back to that day when Dr. Briggs called me and said, hey, can you, I really want you to do this. You think you can do it? And I remember that feeling of feeling like I couldn't do it. And there have been times and days and, you know, especially like when I've lost patients, it's like, oh man, how can I, how can I continue this? Um, but again, I just, I really do consider it a privilege to be able to be in their lives, um, especially at such a scary time or intimate time. Um, you know, life is so precious. So if I can bring music and light into that situation, you won't have to ask me twice. <laughs> well, Tracy San Heinrich, Music Therapy St. Louis, LLC, and all the other things that you do. Thank you. you. You've brightened my day. I, I get goosebumps just uh, thinking about all that you do. And uh, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. And friends, uh, wherever you are, uh, remember, that is your world. So please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. So take care and talk to you soon.